Cool, kia ora, how are you doing? Good. You good? good. Shot, shot, guys, good feedback. Hey, so as you know, we're doing the story of the Bible, so this is the fifth one in our kind of sprint through, uh, just looking at the Bible big picture as we've been going. Uh, and starting next Sunday, we're starting our Christmas series, which I know some people are like Christmas and other people are like Christmas, but it'll be November. So legally, I checked with everyone in New Zealand, legally, once hit November, you're allowed to do Christmas. So we're working through the last eight of our things. So as you remember, over Easter, we did a bunch, and then we did a bunch more later on. And so we're working through the, the first eight of these posters in our kind of Easter uh, Christmas series leading up to Christmas. So that's kind of where we're going. So um, just a really, really fast kind of overview recappy thing. So if you remember a few weeks back, kind of did a, a sprint through the entire Bible and just kind of looking at some key themes. So here's a couple of the the key themes um, as I see them. And I think, I don't know, you can disagree with me. I won't cry too much. Um, first one is God always desires to be with his people and for us to have him as our God. And the second one, God continually gives us the opportunity to either obey him or obey ourselves. So, and you just, like I kept saying, you just see this the whole way through. You see it in the garden, you see it in the Exodus, you see it in the, the conquest when Israel's destroyed by Assyria and Babylon and all this kind of stuff. And side note, how cool is that picture? See the ring? Do you see the ring? Oh, it's a snake ring. Oh, I love it. I love finding cool pictures. Um, back to the, the point. That, that first point is just really crucial, right? God always desires to be with his people and for us to have him as our, as our God. And when we went through all the little bits of the Old Testament, and then I'll talk a bit more about what Graham talked about last week, this really strong message just keeps coming out that God really does love being with his people, right? And you see it in the garden, right? You've got this God who just literally created Adam out of dust, which is like mind-blowing. And then next minute you're reading God's walking with Adam. Why? Because he wants to be with him. He loves being with his people, right? He wants us to be real close to him. So before we go on, here's a quick question. How long do you think Adam and Eve were in the garden before they got kicked out? So grab a friend, just have a like, two-second, three-second discussion. How long were they in the garden before they got kicked out? What do you reckon? Okay. It's always one that's a massive argument, so there's lots of theories on this, so real fast. Theory one is that Adam was probably in the garden for quite a while without Eve. So if you remember, Adam's job initially is to name the animals, which would take a long time, and a whole point in Adam naming the animals is for him to be going, I will call you Mr. and Mrs. Hippopotamus. Oh, interesting, there's two of you. I will call you Mr. and Mrs. Platypus. Oh, interesting, there's two of you. And, and he's realizing he's missing something, right? And he's also realizing he's missing... Um, even though he's got this relationship with God, there's a hole because there's no Mrs. Adam, right? So that's part of the naming. So it's possible that Adam was in the garden for who knows how long, right? But then the other theory is that when Eve comes along, Eve is a fox. Are you with me, right? So Adam's now been by himself all these years, checking out, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Hippotamus, and, uh, you know, and then, and I love it. In the Hebrew, it says when he sees Eve, he literally in the Hebrew, it's like, this is it. Or another way to say it is, row. No, I'm joking, right? I'm joking. It's not the Hebrew. But it's literally like he wakes up from the sleep and he's kind of like, whew, finally. So now that the kids have left, imagine what happened next. The wild thing, right? I'm imagining. We're not saying that S word in church, are we, right? Um, and, but there's no kids while they're in the garden. So a lot of people are like, man, it probably wasn't too long that they were in the garden together before they got kicked out because otherwise there'd be babies popping out everywhere because they're like foxes. In their looks. You with me? Wow. We should have had a lot more coffee this morning. All right, so anyway, these are these kind of two key themes that, we, that I was following and then Graham jumped into. 
as we went through. And kind of a key verse that I've kept coming back to that I thought is kind of, I don't know, a key verse in the Bible when you think in big picture is this one here. God's home is now among his people. He'll live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them, right? And this is right at the end of the Bible. And like I keep saying, you can see this in the garden because God wants to be with them. And you see it in, in all his time with Israel and he's just constantly wanting to be with his people, be with his people, be with his people, right? And then, so we zoomed through the Old Testament at great speed. And then last week, Graham preached a really good message on Jesus. And I thought it was really cool. One of the, one of the key, like Graham brought out some really cool points. So one of his key points was about Jesus being awesome in himself, right? And I thought one of the things he said was so cool. He talked about how, I'll illustrate like this. And I, I can't remember if Graham illustrated it like this, but this is where my brain went. Heaps of people, when they look at the moon on a real clear night, will say, whoa, the moon is so bright. Are they correct? No. Moon's just reflecting the sun, right? So really they should say, wow, it's a very clear night and the sun is managing to bounce off the moon more clear, but that's lame, so we just say the moon is bright, right? And I thought um, Graham's point was really cool. He talked about how a lot of people think Jesus is only awesome or only has great power, is only glorious, is kind of the word Graham used, because he's connected to God. And it's like a lot of people assume Jesus kind of reflects God's power. Does it make sense, eh? And I thought Graham brought out this really good point that none of that's not true, that Jesus is awesome in himself. He's glorious in himself. He is the second person of the Trinity. He's the one who created the world. And yet he came and walked and talked to people in dust and, you know, ah, oh, and then died. And, ah, oh, was, that was a great, a great message. If you missed it, hey, um, video's up. You could listen to the podcast from, from last week. It was really cool. Um, just a little funny kind of story, but I love this. I'll read this, and then I'll tell you why I'm reading this. This is just a silly story, right? It's real short. Um, two boys were bored on a rainy summer's day, so they began to do a jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> this, they made no progress until one of them turned the box lid over to see the picture they were trying to create. It was of a medieval court scene with a king surrounded by his courtiers. Have you said that word? One of the boys cried out, Now I see it. The king is in the middle. Once they recognized that, the puzzle was easy, and they were soon able to finish it. And there's this really clear message in the Bible that Jesus is the center of the whole thing, right? It makes sense, right? And so when you look at the Old Testament, you see in Israel and everything, the whole time they're just waiting for this one to come who's going to sort it all out. They know the sacrifices don't work. They're being faithful, and follow, but they know killing an animal in our place doesn't work because it's not, remember, it's not Imago Dei. It's not in the image of God. But they're being faithful, and they're waiting. Someone's coming. God's going to do something. So the whole Old Testament's pointing to Jesus. And then, like Graham talked about Jesus last week, and then the whole New Testament is looking forward to Jesus' return, but the whole New Testament is also looking back to Jesus. And again and again you read, and, and when Paul's writing, or Peter, whoever, they're talking about Jesus and his life and the, the centrality. It makes sense, eh? So Jesus is the core, and, and one of the things I wanted to encourage you, if, you, if when I say that you're like, oh, I don't know a lot about Jesus, then it's not really hard. Just read it. <laughs> so there's these really cool books called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they tell the life of Jesus from different perspectives. Um, and I just love going through and reading them, right? So if you haven't recently, I'd encourage you, why don't you just start? Book of Mark's always a good one to read through because um, it's like an action one. It's kind of like boom, 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 um, and start learning a bit more about the life of, um, of Jesus because it's so central, right, to everything. So... So that's kind of where we've got to now. And so now I'm now doing the impossible task of summarizing the rest of the New Testament in 30 minutes, which turn to someone beside you and say, impossible. Is that right? Howard, you have to turn to someone. I've got a microphone. Man, Howard, where's the commitment, right? 
So you may think it's impossible, but because I'm amazing, we will do the New Testament. And no, we won't really. I'm just going to focus on a few key bits, right? A few key bits. One of the big questions that you have when you look at the New Testament and talk about the church, the development of the church, is how do you figure out, I say this real carefully, right? How do you figure out what stuff is cultural and what stuff is beyond culture, right? So what stuff's really cultural and is like, it was for their time, it's important, we need to understand it, but what stuff's for all time? Because they're writing in their own culture, they're writing in their own time. So a simple illustration of this, and you can't be angry at me. If you're angry, you can talk to Jose afterwards and tell her off. Um, so I uh, had a friend, we used to go to a, like, this is years ago, I'm very old, I got white in my beard now, I'm super old. Um, so like 50 years ago, nah, <laughs> we used to go to another church and... Um, one of my friends, we were at university together, one of my friends brought his girlfriend to church, and she used to go to another church. Um, and the church we were at was real conservative, and church was just starting, and his girlfriend turned to my friend, his name was Dave, and said, why do all these ladies wear weird hats? And why do they have lace? And so if you don't know, back in the day, and still in some churches, I won't define them in any way and get myself in trouble, um, ladies will wear hats. And back in the day, they wore like legit hats. They were wild. Am I right? Anyone remembers it? They weren't just like little hats. They were like, shut up. These hats are legit, right? But some ladies would just have a, a little lace thing on their head, right? And so the friend, had, she'd been to church all her life, and she was like, what is happening? And so my friend Dave went, yo, and went to First Corinthians 11, where it talks about women wearing hair coverings. Anyway, so after church, we had this massive discussion. Is that cultural? Or is that for all time? Should all the ladies in here be wearing hats? Most of you would be like, yes, I get to spend money and buy hats. I don't know. One of the things that Paul says in there is that it's disgraceful for men to have long hair. Now, in our culture, is that disgraceful or not? So there's heaps of things in the Bible. I'm not going to say whether I think that's right or not. There's heaps of things in the Bible that are cultural that we're like, oh, that was for their time. There's heaps of stuff that is bigger that we take, so... One of the things I really love about it is the, the church develops very, very organically, right? Really, really slowly. Um, in the Old Testament, when God wants to get the, the, the tabernacle, the temple, right, sorted, he just kind of downloads, like, to um, Moses, the plans for the temple. And it's real clear. It's like, make it this long, make the material out of this, do these poles. It's really, really clear. But when it comes to the church, God does it really organically and slowly and gently and, and carefully over time. So... When we start, there's no like, oh, we turn to Acts, right, which is after the Jesus, and Acts chapter 1, here is the template for the church. It's not like that. It's like you read through Acts, and you read through Paul's letters, and you're like, oh, we start getting this picture of the church. But again, what was for their time, what's for all time? So because I've only got a few minutes, I just wanted to focus on a few kind of key bits that I think are in the development of the church So that, that relate to us, right? Um, so here's the first one. It's not rocket science. first one's deacons, right? Um, New Testament church development, just thinking about deacons. So I'll just read these verses. If you've got your Bible, bounce over there. Always good to follow along and make sure it's good. Where are we going? Acts chapter 6, verse 1. While you're going there, kia ora, podcast people. Sorry, I didn't say good day before. Kia ora, video people. Hope you're doing amazing and, I don't know, having a great time doing the dishes, driving in your car. Maybe not if you're on the video, that'd be terrifying, but... Well, I do know there's one person in our church that regularly watches the video while driving their car. Evil. I've told them off, but they continue to do it. So, shocking. Um, so, Acts 6. So, just a side note, it's real interesting that they develop deacons before elders. Because a lot of people are always like, the elders are the big, important, amazing people, and deacons are kind of this 
kind of slightly lame subgroup. They're not as cool as elders. They're important, but elders are legit. And I'm always like, really? Interesting then that they start with deacons and then elders come later if they were so important. So anyway, let me read these verses, eh? Um, as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. I just love that phrase, eh? The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying their widows are being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. It's like, man, the church, we've been around for 2,000 years, and we still have ridiculous... Like, that's a crazy argument, right? We still have arguments about the craziest things in church. Um, so the 12 called it, so the 12 is the apostles, right? Called a meeting of all the believers. And they said, we apostles should spend our time, I love this line, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. <laughs> oh, that was funny, not funny? Oh man, where are you guys? And so brothers, select seven men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll give them this responsibility and we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Um, so, real simple way, deacons. So, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about deacons is as an eldership, lately we don't have a deacon team in our church, but as an eldership lately we've been talking about the importance of getting a deacons team going. And I was like, ah, that'd be a cool thing to just go and talk about for a minute. So, a couple of things about deacons. The, the first thing, and it's really clear in here, their first job is to free up the elders to do what they're called to do, right? It makes sense. You see that, eh? And, and they're literally saying, this is nuts, man. We've got, at this time, it's the apostles, you know, the, the disciples of Jesus. And they're having to spend all their time running food stuff. And it's like, this is crazy. Why are they doing all this, this practical stuff when what God's called them to do, and that's the important thing, what God's called them to do is teach the word and pray and visit and heal the sick, you read in James and stuff, right? And it's like they're not able to do what God's called and gifted them to do because they're having to do all the stuff that they're not called and gifted to do. This is nuts. So we need a team over here. And I, I love how... So Luke wrote this. I love how Luke describes it. And so, brothers, select seven men who are, and I love this, well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. And so one of the things, I just want to really fight against that idea that we, we go, oh, the elders are like the main amazing ones, and the deacons are kind of like, they're cool, but they're ones that didn't make eldership. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, when you read this, it's like, what an insane thing to say. It's like a whole bunch of awesome people who are full of the spirit, they're wise, they're well-respected, who are doing some really, really important stuff so that the elders can do what they're called to do. Does it make sense, eh? And so the way, I did a whole bunch of reading on this because I was like, I don't want to go too far down this track that they're more awesome than they should be. But the way I understood it is like, if you were doing an organizational structure, right? You'd have God at the top always because we're a church, right? You can't just start with elders. That would be evil. So God. And if you're doing an organizational structure, it'd be like God, elders, deacons, because the elders have that, that calling to have the vision and the direction of the church deacons, and then like all of us ministries and stuff. But if you were doing it the way God really, really sees it, I think, it's just God, and then it's all of us. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like the elders aren't like, the elders are amazing, but they're not more important. They just have a calling and a gifting on their lives to direct the church and do a whole bunch of that big spiritual stuff, teaching and prayer and visiting and all that. The deacons, equally important, so important, because they free up the elders to do what they should do, but they're also doing a whole bunch of stuff that's crucial to caring for the church that's probably not going to happen and fall away because the elders don't have time. Does it make sense? So one of the things, I, and again, I want to come back to those key things. One of the things is like, how, how, why did God set up deacons? And the answer to me is really simple. It's because he really cares for people. He really, really does. So he's caused these deacons to set up this food program because some of the widows are going without food. And God, who loves people, is like, no, church, you're getting messed up. You've, so he calls these deacons to step forward to do this to me, an amazing job, again, 
in one sense, totally equal to the elders. The elders do all this important spiritual stuff. The deacons are doing all this important practical stuff and caring for people that if they weren't there, wouldn't be cared for. So, But again, it's real organic because you don't get this clear there in Acts. It's not like, and here's a job description. It's like it's caring for the practical needs. And then later on in Timothy and Titus, you get more stuff, but we don't have a lot of time to, to talk about that. Um, so I just thought I'd tell a funny story at the end of deacons, and then I'm going to talk briefly about elders. Um, this is just a funny story. I tried to think of positive stories, and I did, about deacons, but they weren't really funny. And so I thought it's good in the middle of this to just have a little, oh my gosh. So you ready to go, oh my gosh? Yeah. Wow, that was late. Are you ready to go, oh my gosh? Yeah. Okay, thanks. So I have a good friend, and I'll, I'll mess this up so you can never figure out the church. So I've got a good friend who was pastoring in a church, not in Kitakitara, and the deacons were awesome, and the elders were awesome, but the deacons, for some reason, became quite evil in a sense, and decided they wanted to take over the church. And so over the course of about three, two or three years, they did a whole bunch of stuff. So they were in charge of finances, and so they changed all the bank accounts, so the only people that could sign and do stuff were the deacons, and they now had full control of the finances. And then, because they had full control of the finances, they were able to change the trust deed of the church itself. So they changed the deed of the church to remove all the elders to put themselves in as bosses. And all this was done behind the scenes. My friend's merely pastoring away. He didn't know of it. The elders merely eldering away. They didn't know of it. And then there was a big open church meeting where the deacons stood up and said, and now the church is ours. We are now the leaders of the church. And the elders were like, what? Hey, wait. And so they then showed, we are now in charge of the finances. We're now in charge of the trustee. It's our church. And this is the changes we're making. And everyone was like, what just happened? So are you ready to go? Oh my gosh. Isn't that true, right? It's like a true story, insane. Um, so funnily enough, the church fell apart. Who would have thought? And there was chaos and fighting and all sorts of ugly stuff. So that's why I love, and I wanted to read the verse again now that everyone's like, why did you tell that story? The punchline is this. Seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom. Now, talking to my friend, he's like, yeah, when you, when you look back, you go, I don't think we chose the right people. <laughs> we chose people who were good at practical things, but did we look at people who are wise in the things of God? Do we look for people who are full of the Spirit? And I was like, I, I love how he does that description. Is that cool, eh? Ridiculous story, but it's all good. All right. So that's just a little thing about deacons, and we're, as an eldership, thinking, praying, you know, looking for, for, to pull this kind of team together. Um, so I chose these pictures perf- like perfectly, sorry, <laughs> um, on purpose, with a serving kind of thing in the middle, someone praying, because deacons are wise, they pray, they do stuff, but it's a real practical ministry. And then here's the elders one, I only changed one picture, to add the Bible, because the elders still serve. That's why they're there. They're not these heroes of the universe. They're serving, they're praying, but one of their key parts is prayer and teaching the Bible, whether that's in a life group or up the front or whatever, right? So it's this kind of slightly different flavor. Um, I just wanted to read a couple of verses, and I put them on the screen. Um, I was just nervous about time because of the what shall not be named this morning. Um, and so two of my, my favorite verses, and I talked about eldership a few uh, a little while ago, so I'm not going to get too carried away on it here. Um, two of my favorite verses thinking about eldership are, are these ones here. So this one um, is 1 Peter 5, verse 2. So there's this really cool chunk in 1 Peter chapter 5 that talks about um, elders and, and kind of defines the core of what they do. And, and this is it here. So 1 Peter 5, 2 says, calls them to care for the flock that God's entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you get out of it, because you're eager to serve God. And again, you just so clearly see, remember that one of the key themes is God just loves his people and wants to be with them. 
So of course he'd set up deacons to care for the practical needs. And duh, of course he'd set up this idea of eldership, right? I love how it's, it says it. It's to, to care for the people, to watch over them, right? And I, I love, like, I always say how amazing our elders are, right? We have awesome elders here. And they really, really do care for people. They want to watch over and care for us. It's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to tell you a terrible elder story in a minute, so hold on to your old lady hats. I don't know. Um, and here's another, another verse that talking about eldership that I just love. So this is from Acts chapter 20. As you guys know, uh, this is towards the end of Paul's life, and he's kind of done a, a missionary trip, blasting around saying, kia ora, but he wouldn't have said kia ora, he would have said something in Greek, um, to all the churches that he's planted, and saying goodbye to them, and he meets up with the, the church in Ephesus, which is obviously where we get the Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians from, and they're on the beach, and they're all kneeling and crying because they're saying goodbye to Paul, and then he gives them this, this kind of challenge, right? And this, again, is a cool definition of eldership. He says, so guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. You see the same idea, right? This real caring thing? Guard and shepherd and care, right? Um, shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders, right? I just love how clear the deacon one, care for their practical needs because God loves the people. <laughs> Elders care for the, the more spiritual needs. Again, they're not necessarily more important, different roles. Elders have a lot more vision and direction, but it's like this rather than this. I, I love that, eh? Um, so a quick crazy elder story. <laughs> I have another friend who's a pastor, um, and he was in a church, again, I won't say where, and he rang me one day and he was like, bro, I am losing my mind in this church. I don't know how much longer I can last. And I was like, wow, tell me what's going on. <laughs> this is a true story. He said, um, our elders' meetings have turned almost into fist fights. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, are you being like metaphorical? What are you talking about? And he said, our last elders' meeting was one of the first times I've seen an elder crawl across the table in the middle of the meeting, grab someone by the throat, and threaten to punch them in the face. And I was like, I said, what the heck is happening? And he said, oh, we've nearly had fist fights for a bunch of elders' meetings now. And I was like, hang on, hang on. Like, literal fist fights. And he said, oh, your people are getting up, pushing chairs, getting ready to fight. And he's the past. And I was like, what is happening in your church? Are you ready to say, oh, my gosh? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So I've been at this church for over four years now. Been in, I think, nearly all the elders' meetings. I've missed a couple because I've been sick or away. Not once have I seen anyone crawl across the table. Unbelievable, right? Yeah. I haven't never, Grant's one of the elders, I've never seen Grant even get up and, like, grab me by the throat and threaten to punt. You know, we have great elders, right? Um, one of the funny, like, you guys are all in different businesses, eh? And you often talk to, you know, fellow business people and you hear these crazy stories. Us pastors have the best crazy stories, I reckon, because we talk about the weirdest things, so... I ne that's a great question. So he's asking why. Yeah, I don't know. I never asked him why. In the end, we met up for coffee because he was losing his mind and he left the church because it was turning to custard. But they were arguing over some... The issue was stupid. I don't remember... What, which often happens, right? It wasn't like this giant thing, but yeah, I don't know. They were arguing over some issue that had been going on for a while, but anyway. All right, so I've talked about deacons. I've talked about elders with great stories. Um, and the last little bit, which... It's kind of me cheating um, in the development of the church. Is what I've been saying all along, right? Can you click, Kelly? Um, just it's all about God's love for his people, right? I just wanted to make it really clear that this whole development of the church is really, really clearly about God caring for his people, God loving his people. God designed the church and this gathering for us to come together, not just to do community and stuff, but as corporate worship people, right? 
We can all read our Bibles during the week. We can all listen to sermons online during the week. We can all sing and listen to cool worship music during the week. But there's something special when we come together as the church, right? There's just something awesome that happens. And it's God showing us his love, right? Deacons, elders, it's all about God's love. Back to this verse, right? I just keep loving this verse, so chucking it up again, right? God's home is now among his people. He'll live with them. They'll be his people. God himself will be with them. And often through the New Testament, God talks about the church as being where his people are, where he dwells with us, right? Yeah, he dwells with us when we're in our own lives and run around doing whatever we're doing. But there's something special when we come together. God dwells with us, right? So I just want to encourage you, if you're on video, on the podcast, we love you and you've got stuff going on in your life, which is why you're not here, which is totally legit. But at the same time, we just want to encourage you to, to be with us, right? We think there's something really special that happens when we're together as God's people, right? Um, I love this next quote. This is a bit of a challenging in your face quote, but I love this. So let me read this. This is from Kent Hughes, and he said, On the most elementary level, you do not have to go to church to be a Christian. You do not have to go home to be married either. But in both cases, if you do not, you'll have a very poor relationship. <laughs> well, that's cool. I mean, you can be a Christian by yourself. I don't actually think you can because the Bible's all about coming together. But there's something special when we come together. It's community, right? It's how you're doing. It's praying together and worshiping together. And oh, I just love that little quote. All right, I'm going to give you some questions. So we don't have a huge amount of time, so maybe just choose one question. Um, here's the questions. Um, oh, so if you're visiting, we're actually going to chat for a few minutes, but I'll explain how to not get terrified in a second. So here's question one. What is your favorite thing about being the church and coming to church? What do you believe is most essential about being the church? Number two, this is a bit of a hard question. Why do you think church attendance is on the decline for people who claim to be a Christian? So there's really crazy stats coming out now that are showing there's a ton of people coming back to church. You haven't been going to church for ages, but a lot of people who've been going to church for ages are now declining in their attendance, and it's this kind of flippy, weird thing. So why, why is that happening? Or maybe number three, why do you believe Christian, or what do you believe Christians miss out on by not regularly being in church? So just grab one um, and have a little chat. So again, if you're visiting, um, this is mildly terrifying. So what the rule is, if you stare at the screen, then no one will bug you. If you don't stare, because God might be talking to you and you don't want to talk to weird people beside you. But if you're not staring at the screen, then people will just grab you for a couple of minutes and we'll just have a little chat. So grab a friend or associate and have a little talk. Okay, kia ora, kia ora. How about we just do a couple of people? I know we don't have a lot of time. Just a couple of people real quick. Any thoughts from anyone? Any of those questions? Always a bit scary, but not scary. Yeah? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Just so the podcast, so Brett's saying um, there's a lot of perceived negativity about the church, but Brett made a good point when he talks to a lot of his non-church friends. It's helping them understand... It's not the church. There's certain people or certain groups within the church that can be really negative and horrible, right? I think that's a good point. Yeah, what were you going to say? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, no, I'm with you, eh? I'll just repeat it for the video and stuff. It's that, I think it's, it's what we do at church. There's prayer and corporate worship and community, and we come in and have a coffee and we chat to people, and we, after church we hang out, and how are you doing, and we pray for one another, and... Yeah, and it is that, and I say this real carefully, I've talked to a few churches lately that are now stopping their video worship, um, their video not worship, sorry, they're um, putting their sermons on um, online because they're just finding too many people are saying, oh, I'm just going to stay at home, I don't need to come. And they're like, no, 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 
You're missing out on who we are, what it means to come together. What are you going to say, Johanna? Yeah, that's cool. So again, just to repeat it. So Johanna's saying what Caleb said when he got baptised the other Sunday. I think it was you, bro, who said, and instead of, oh, how did you say it, bro? You said it really good. It's like instead of life being around God, God is fitting around, yeah, God is fitting around life. Does that make sense? So instead of God being the centre, I need to be the church. I need to be at life group. I need to be in my Bible. It's now, if it works, I'll do church. Oh, it didn't work this week. Or I'll, yeah. That's cool. Or shot whoever did that. High fives all around. I don't know. All right. Hey, so I just want to finish with a few more minutes. So don't, I'm not, don't want to be one of those, as I wrap up, pastors, and then 10 minutes later, you're like, is he ever going to shut up? Um, the end of the story, right? Um, but as Christians, as we know, the ends of the Bible, it's, you look back and you go, oh, it's really just the beginning. This whole like thousands and thousands of years of human history is really just to prepare us and get us ready for the whole new heavens and the new earth, this whole new amazing life, right? Which I just get so excited about. Now, I don't have time to talk about raptures and tribulation and battles. There's some cool battles in there. And I'm resist anyway, I'm resisting talking about stuff like that. Um, and the millennial reign of Christ and judgments and blah, 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 all this cool stuff. I just want to talk about one little thing. And the reason I want to talk about this is this is something that's just missed a bit in churches, right? So I just want to take a few minutes to, to jump on this. And this is it here, right? It's called the reward seat of Christ. And heaps of you have heard of it called the judgment seat of Christ. But I never call it the judgment seat of Christ because it's for Christians. And for us, there is no judgment. And we often think of judgment as being a negative thing. I mean, judgment can be positive. But the word judgment conjures up negativity. And it's nothing to do with negative. There's a, there's a sniff of negativity in there. We'll read the verses. But it's really about this positive, like Christ rewarding us for how we've lived. So jump over to 1 Corinthians 3. This is all through the New Testament, but I'm just going to read it from, um, from this little bit in 1 Corinthians because it's real clear here. And I'm going to kind of read it and explain some stuff and read it and explain stuff. So, um, so let me read this. So this is talking about at the, the end of time, um, most people would say there's a time where we individually will come before Jesus and kind of give an account of our lives, right? Now, I grew up in a quite a conservative church, and I still clearly remember them saying, and this is how they said it, that, that you will stand before Jesus and all the Christians of the world will be in a big theater watching and your life will be played on a screen for everyone to see. And I remember as like a young guy just about having a heart attack and dying and being like, I don't, that sounds like hell to me. I'm not sure I want to go to heaven, but... There's no mention in the New Testament or in the Bible of screens and everyone watching and being like, really, is that what Wendy did? Oh my gosh, right? <laughs> Sorry, Wendy, we know you don't sin, you're perfect in every way. All right, let me read this. So I think this is personal, but you'll, you'll see what, what happens. So because of God's grace to me, this is Paul talking, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now, this is a real confusing couple of verses, so I'll explain it when I get to the end. Now, others are building on it, but whoever's building on this foundation must be very careful for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus. So simply all Paul's saying is what he's about to say is only for Christians, only for people who have Jesus as their foundation, Jesus as the core of their life. So for someone who's not a believer, Jesus is not their foundation, he's not their core, this does not apply to them. It's only for people who are believers. Makes sense, eh? Shot, Craig. Yes, thank you for explaining it so well. No problem. Anytime, here to help. Okay, verse 12. Anyone who builds on that foundation, right? So someone who's saved. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. 
the fire will show if a person's work has any value. So let me explain this. So what most people think of here is that Jesus is saying, when we stand before him to give us a reward, right, there's going to be some kind of evaluation for the way we've served him. Makes sense. You with me, right? Some kind of evaluation. And everything we do, and I think this is not being like, you know, as I do a good deed, an angel's like, and there's a jewel. And I do something shady, it's like, and there's some hay. I don't think it, I think it's more <laughs> metaphorical than that, right? Um, and the idea is that as we serve Jesus, as we live our lives, we're literally building up either good stuff, gold, silver, precious stones, right? Or we're building up rubbish, right? And what happens when you set that on fire? It's gone, right? And most people understand this as talking about motives, right? It's talking about our motives, right? You can't say it's talking about the, the largeness of what we do because we're gifted and called by God in totally different ways. So someone does something really tiny, someone does something absolutely amazing, we don't know how God's seeing it because he's looking at their heart, right? And he's looking at their calling and their gifting. You with me, eh? So simple, completely lame illustration would be this. So here's my friend Ethan, who I've, ne I've never met you before. It's like one of those magician shows. No. Um, here's Ethan, and Ethan is currently dating Eugen, who's awesome, but she's in uni uh, up in Auckland. And so Ethan and, um, and Eugen, this is a fictitious story, of course. Um, so they arrive in the car park across there, and they're walking into church, and just as they're coming in the front doors, Ethan sees some trash on the ground. And he thinks, man, I'll pick up this trash, and Eugen is going to be like, this boy... <laughs> this boy's worth capturing. He's worth marrying, right? So he picks up the trash, goes over and puts it in the thing, and Eugen's like, oh, the man, right? Wood, hay, stubble. Are you with me? <laughs> Wood, hay, stubble. There was crazy motives, right? Now, Howard, I didn't ask if I could pick on you, but you don't care. So Howard and Helen are walking into church, though, and Howard loves Helen. He loves to impress Helen. He sees some trash. Oh, nice hugging, bro. He sees some trash on the ground, but he picks it up because he cares about the church, <laughs> And he's like, hey, there's going to be people coming in a minute, and they don't want trash floating around. He picks it up and kind of tidies it, puts it away. So gold, silver, precious stones. You see the difference, eh? Motives, right? Same thing, but motives. Okay, and then it says that it'll be judged in, in some kind of way. So I'll, I'll carry on here. Um, the fire will show if the person's work is any value, and that's that key word, um, value. If the work survives, that, per that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, because again, it's that foundation of Jesus, they're saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Um, so much debate and discussion around what is the reward? What do we get for the reward? Some people think it's real physical. We're real physical people. We like stuff. And so maybe in the new heavens and new earth, like Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Maybe if you've really served well, your place is way more legit than someone who is a little bit like, eh, Christianity, Christianity. Does it make sense, eh? Um, a lot of people think it's relationship with God. So if during your life you've really hungered after being close to God, that for the whole eternity you're really, really close to God, as opposed to someone who was kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, God, shmod, it's all good, Christianity, yay-ish. So they're still saved, still have a relationship with God, but nothing like someone who's really hungered, right? So this is my thing. This sounds really silly, but this is my whole thing. If Jesus is handing out rewards, the creator of the universe sign me up for a massive one. Does that make sense? Because he's not going to be stingy. He's not going to be like, well, thanks for coming, Craig. Here's a teaspoon. And I'm like, oh, man, thanks a lot. No offense to anyone who collects teaspoons. A reward from Jesus would be like, oh, my gosh, are you, sh it'll be are you with me? Eh? Now, and just briefly, and then I'm going I'm to finish up. Um, but if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. Um, what's the loss that he's talking about? He's still saved, 
still a Christian, still going to heaven and all that, the new heavens and new earth. But there's a clear loss. And again, a lot of people come back to, um, this is the new heavens and new earth, most people would say, is the loss, again, this decreased relationship with God for all of eternity, which just makes me go, oh my gosh. But with no realization of what everyone else has, otherwise eternity would stink. Does that make sense? So for example, someone here has really served God and they have sacrificed and they have chased after God. Their, their relationship with God in the new heavens and the new earth is a 10, right? I don't know. Someone else has kind of been pretty lame as a Christian, to be honest. Not a lot of Bible reading, turning up to church once in a blue moon, you know, all that stuff. Maybe theirs is a four. But they don't look at the 10 and be like, oh man. And for all of eternity, they're like this thing, you know? Still got that relationship, but there's a loss in there, some kind of loss, right? So I don't, I don't know what it is, but that's something that people kind of chuck around a lot. Makes sense to me, right? Makes sense. So I just want to finish with this and then we're going to sing another song and pray and then we're going to be done. But I just want to stop for a second and ask you to consider how's your foundation building going? (laughs) It's what Paul's saying in here, right? He says everyone is building on this foundation. If you think back over your last few weeks, your last few months, your last few years, I don't know if you're nice and old, what have you been putting on that foundation? Is it like when you look at it, is it like, man, it really is wood, hay and straw. I'm I'm not striving. <laughs> um, I really think Paul puts this in here, and you read this, like I said, all through the New Testament, this idea of this reward from Christ. I really think it's meant to be really inspirational. Not in a shallow kind of like, oh, I just want to get a giant reward, but in an inspirational way that, man, one day we will all stand before Jesus. I do not want to stand before Jesus and hear him go, oh, Wow, thanks for coming, Craig. Um, yeah, so nothing for you. <laughs> In fact, loss. I just don't. I'm getting goosebumps even talking about that. I don't want to hear that, right? Um, I, and I don't mean this in an arrogant, silly sense. I really want to stand before Jesus and hear him go, oh, I know it was me empowering you and calling you and gifting you, but man, good job, Craig. Man, you ran hard. You really did. You were in the Word. You were getting to church. Man, here's your reward. Trucks, back it up. <laughs> Woohoo, trucks, 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 not truck, trucks, uh, plural. Yeah. To, to be blunt, eh, the, and I say this real carefully, the, one of the things that encourages me in my relationship is the, I say this real carefully, the fear of the loss more than the joy of the reward. Does that make sense? Yeah, I just really, and I know this sounds real emotional. I didn't plan to say this, but I do not want to stand before Jesus. <laughs> He's the only injured one in heaven, right? We now have perfect bodies. The only person in the new heavens and the earth with not a perfect body, Jesus. He's still got his wounds, right? I do not want to stand before Jesus and see the wounds in his hands and side maybe. <laughs> Finally realize what it costs for my salvation and have him go, oh, hey, Craig. Oh, anyway, I need to pray. I'm going to burst into tears. Let me pray. Yeah, kia ora atua. Thanks for these... Um, I don't know, this real powerful teaching from Paul, eh? Thanks that it's not just one off, it's all through the New Testament there, that there is a time coming where we will stand before Jesus and either reward or some kind of loss. I don't know what that is, but I do not. <laughs> Man, I really don't want to receive loss. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I thank you that you, you seem to say this in the Bible as a way to really inspire us. Not in a shallow, yeah, I want a big reward way, but in an inspiring, man, I'd love to stand before Jesus and hear him go, well done. <laughs> well done, faithful servant. Man, you, you strive. It was hard, but you strived well. Mm. We want to hear that, God, and inspire us with that, eh? Yeah, I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.